Today's episode of Pop Culture Reference is brought to you by the Professional Cinema Society's bi-annual student film and video festival here at the University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee. If you want to submit to this year's festival, the deadline is December 6th, and you can find more information on the Professional Cinema Society's Facebook page. Now, on with the show. Broadcasting live from Toontown, this is Pop Culture Reference, your one-stop reference for all things pop culture. I'm Seamus Connolly. I'm Garrett Strother. Hi, hello, Ricardo Silvano. Lots of news this week. Yeah, there is actually a, a lot of news to go through this week. What do, what do we want to start with? My dad actually sends me some hot scoops Ooh, sometimes. Okay. So he sent me a link segment the other day. Soon? I love it. Where apparently lame duck Disney CEO Bob Iger, who is stepping down next year, recently did an interview where he admitted that they released too many Star Wars films over a short period of time, to which we all say, we know. Yeah, no duh. Thank you for, for officially announcing that. But, I mean, it's nice to hear that Disney knows what their mistake was. It makes me feel more confident that we aren't just going to be getting a Star War every year until the sun burns out, at the very least. I mean, that we will. It just won't be a movie. Uh, exactly. That they're going to understand at least to diversify their content and then also stagger the films enough that we don't get fatigued with them immediately. We're going to have Mandalorian, and whenever the Cassian Andor show drops on Disney+, Plus, but other than that, they haven't officially announced when they're doing a new movie, so... Yeah, I yeah. think we're good. It's going to be nice to have a little bit of a reprieve. Yeah, especially with those Game of Thrones guys out. There's, it's kind of as up in the air as it has ever been. Moving on, we have another onslaught of Batman casting news. Well, these are rumors. Colin Farrell as the Penguin. I mean, that's not confirmed. I feel like that's usually playing it out, seeing what the reception is, and then confirming and then it later. And releasing the actual news. Much like when Robert Pattinson was announced as Batman, I'm not sure how to feel quite yet. Because we don't even really know what version of Batman, really, they're trying to go for here. Yeah, we have no idea what the tone's going to be or the visual style. Also, if they are basing it off of the Batman story, The Long Halloween, how long are any of these characters actually going to be in the movie? Because in The Long Halloween, they essentially just show up for one scene apiece Mm -hmm. while Batman interviews them. And then they're gone from the story. So I want to know how much of that is going to play in, or if the casting of all these A-list actors is actually going to dictate that the characters are in the movie longer than they would have been if they had cast smaller names. I don't know, man. I'm very excited for this. It's so good. I feel like that fleshes out this world that they're going for. Mm-hmm. Just oh. having a bunch of them just kind of hanging around, just not a focus on one of them. They're just like, it's Gotham. They're everywhere. I'm not opposed to anything yet. I'm just scoping out the landscape. And in in scoping out the landscape, that other rumor also possibly because I'm 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 in agreement with you, Ricardo. That I I like the idea of it being like, it's not a specific villain per movie or set of villains per movie. It might just be kind of like a, like they're all here. They're in the background. You, it's all around the zeitgeist of Gotham City. And that new other rumor is that Mr. Matthew McConaughey is Harvey Dent, Two Face. He seems. I know that fits. <laughs> I could see, at the very least see him as Harvey Dent. I don't know yeah. about Two-Face so far, but... The problem is, Ricardo, if he were to play Two-Face, he would favor one side because, you know, Matthew McConaughey is all right, all right, all right. And he cut that out. <laughs> cut, cut that out of the feed. I mean, with the these announcements of all these, like, huge stars going to be in Batman, 
it is just going to spark a lot of memes and jokes about how, like, all of these villains are just going to become the actors that are portraying them. In There's also another casting rumor. About Batman? Batman's most loyal and trusted companion, Sir Alfred Pennyworth, Andy Serkis. Andy Serkis is Alfred Pennyworth. That's the rumor. Interesting indeed. Interesting. It's not bad. That's pretty. I don't hate it because that means that they're going for a little more of gruff, like ex spy Alfred, like ready to originally down up for the penguin. Yeah, that was a rumor that he was going to be the penguin. Oh, maybe that was the wires crossed concept art for that. It actually looked pretty good. We just put some put some mocap dots on him. He could do anything. Stay tuned for more insane casting announcements, because, like, who else could even be thrown in the mix here that would be just even more big and weirdly famous? Ricardo, you've got news. Yeah, there's a, there's another Scooby-Doo movie coming out. They released some promo images. The art style I'm really into. I think it looks really good. But yeah, they just released that yesterday, two yeah, days ago. Yesterday. It looks, like, pretty fun. Like, I'm, I'm kind of yeah, I'm big it. in the animation style. There's going to be a trailer on Monday. There's talk it's going to be the launching point to the Hanna-Barbera cinematic universe, which I'm about. I'm into it. Yeah, I think that's a great idea. I still don't know about that, the extended universe. In the images, you see, like, a young Shaggy and Scooby, and in the background, there's, like, action figures and drawings of the Blue Falcon. I think this is probably going to expand beyond Scooby-Doo, even though this is only being advertised as a Scooby-Doo movie right now. I'm not sure about how Fred looks. Fred looks a little wonky to me. What he's got the cool new jacket on. Yeah. He's got the he's got the blonde. There's hair. no ascot, but there's a little orange highlight on his collar. Yeah. I don't like that there's no ascot. I, first I of wish all. there was no ascot. Also They're gonna I, make a joke about it, I'm sure. They gotta. Zach Efron, huh? Yeah, Zach Efron is Fred. Will Forte is Shaggy. Will Forte is Shaggy. Gina okay. Rodriguez is Velma, Amanda Seafried is Daphne, and wow. Frank Welker continues to be Scooby Doo. I have no problems with any of that, I think. I think that's... I'm, I'm pretty excited to see this. It's also written by the same lady that wrote The Edge of Seventeen. <laughs> so, really? I never saw that movie. What a it's weird jump. Yeah. I mean, they're teens. They're doing they teen things. They are perpetually teens. Seamus, what's your news? This is something that I saw the other day. Apparently in an interview, Kelsey Grammer of Frasier fame... I, he's done other things. I know him from Frasier mostly. He almost confirmed, mostly confirmed, somewhat confirmed that the Frasier reboot is a go and could be as early as mid-2020. It wasn't like an official, official announcement type deal, but he would be the one to know, I guess, and... He'd also be the one to be hoping for it, to be fair. That's true. He's He'd been be the pushing. one to want to put that out into the ether. It's not going to be the same. Without Martin. Oh, God. Rest in peace, John Mahoney. So recently. This year? Yeah. No. Last year? Last year, at least. It feels recent, It okay? does. It, it, like, it hurt no. when that happened, man. Uh, Martin's my favorite character on that show. I don't think I could support a Frasier reboot without Martin. I mean, it's obviously... They're going to talk about it. I mean, that seems like a Frasier... Like, a serious enough thing to happen on a Frasier... Yeah, kind of deal with that. Where do, Where does the chair go? Oh, Maybe Fraser's going to keep it just because he can't bear to get rid of it. Maybe Freddy will take it. Is it Brady Bunch Christmas special style where they're all just, like, old and sad? Is that what the Brady Bunch Christmas special is about? They all have their problem that they are trying to hide from the family, right? So 
Jan is getting a divorce. Oh. Marsha's husband just lost his job. Like, what the hell, Brady Bunch? <laughs> what, what, that's a family sitcom. All right, I think that about wraps us up for news. Let's move on to our main segment. This week's main segment, we're talking about Who Framed Roger Rabbit from 1988, directed by Robert Zemeckis. One of the... Smile, darn you, smile. What's that song at the end? Is that it? Smile, darn you, smile. <laughs> yeah. What is it in? That I think movie. it's just an old cartoon song. And I know that's just the actual recording of that is all the animators that worked on that movie singing it. It is. Oh, yeah. that is yeah. very touching. I actually had no idea. That's that's wonderful. Doing their best tune voices. Oh, and it works because that ending is very heartfelt. And I brought this one in as my free space for today. And in a great free space it is, Seamus. Yeah, yeah. an excuse to rewatch this movie. Truly, I because it is just like so much fun. It's it's funny and like a good play on all those great noir tropes. Like Eddie Valiant is very real feeling. He feels like a cop in a in like thrown into this weird situation. Yeah, the thing that's nice about Roger Rabbit is they take it seriously, the story, the narrative, while also being in this fun zany world that they are able to focus on a narrative and character motivations and things that matter for telling a good story and a good noir, which you mentioned this is clearly spoofing or paying homage to. It's not making fun of any of it, really. It's just, like, using the established tropes to, like, be part of that world more like it. Yeah, that's fair. It also helps with the time period. Oh, yes, of course. Like, this dawn of color cartoons going hand-in-hand with the era of the noir are laid on top of each other, so it makes sense that's a good marriage for those two filmic concepts to intermingle. Yeah, absolutely. So, this story follows Private Eye, Eddie Valiant of Valiant and Valiant Investigations, He works on a case involving the R.K. Maroon Studios, which is a cartoon studio, the titular Roger Rabbit, his wife Jessica Rabbit, and Toontown, where all of the Toons live. So in this universe, cartoons are just like actors that you hire. Toontown is just like a neighborhood in... Hollywood, L.A., mm-hmm. and it is a segregated neighborhood. But yeah, neighborhood. It, that is, like, a huge point in this movie is that the discrimination and, like, not abuse, but, like, tunes exploitation. Are ta- exploitation. Tunes are taken advantage of to, like, be workers in this industry of, like, making cartoons the way they do. Yeah, it's certainly a commentary on race and class in the Hollywood of the 1930s and 40s. As a lot of noir films often go down uh, an idea like that of, you know, class at least, and Mm -hmm. social standing, things like that. And another big noir trope that they throw in right away, which is one of the, it's like almost comically tragic, the... Alcoholism? The amount of alcohol (laughs) that any value drinks is is like, it could kill a horse that that much alcohol, and he, he downs it in every scene he can. Well, this movie is dark. It really is. Yeah. And I remember I watched it when I was six or seven thinking that it would be fine for me to watch. I would go into the cabinet full of VHS tapes that my family had, and I saw it had a cartoon on it, so I was like, this should be fine. And I watched it, and I was quite taken with it, but also kind of horrified because it was probably the darkest thing I'd seen up until that point. 
There's murder, there's alcoholism, yeah. there's sex, there, you know. The tragic death of the other Valiant brother yeah. that mm-hmm. comes up in, as kind of one of the reasons that Eddie is an alcoholic. And why he doesn't work with tunes. So I guess doesn't we trust tunes. We should probably get straight into the plot of the movie then. Yeah, I guess so. Is this where we call spoilers? Sure. If you haven't seen Roger Rabbit, <laughs> do that before you uh, listen to this episode, please. So we open rather brilliantly with a R.K. Maroon Roger Rabbit cartoon. And it's a great cartoon. It's like an intro that could just be a a Looney Tune. That's what's so great about it. The idea of when you used to go to a movie, you would see a cartoon Mm -hmm. before the movie. And then this movie, the beginning of the movie, is the cartoon before the movie. It just folds together so nicely. It's brilliant. It's brilliant. Let's see, we get, you know, all these death-defying, super dangerous things going on with the baby trying to get the cookies out of the jar, and then we get a fridge drop, a classic cartoon fridge drop on Roger that, surprise, it calls cut on the set, and it's you know, pulls out, and we get to see that this is how cartoons are made in this world. It's just on a soundstage. It's with just on a soundstage with a cartoon set and cartoon actors. We learn that Baby Herman, while cute <laughs> and baby-like in the cartoon, is really a... 55 years old. Yeah, cigar-smoking... Womanizing... Fast-talking... Scumbag baby. He walks under the skirt of a woman on the set just to show all of us at home how terrible he really is. And then Eddie Valiant's on the set. He's going to go meet with R.K. Maroon. What a maroon. Mm, what a good, <laughs> What a good joke. Oh, God. That's something I really appreciated this time around, is how many tiny little background... R.K. Maroon being the most obvious example, but how many tiny little background in-jokes are rooted in those old cartoons, and how many... Like, all the Acme stuff, obviously. Oh, totally. The idea of Acme being a titan of industry in the cartoon (laughs) world is hilarious. That's... That movie is probably why I thought that was actually kind of a thing in cartoons, that Acme was, <laughs> like, this through line to make that connected universe of Looney Tunes stuff. They make terrible products. They make cannons and missiles. That blow and... you up. It's user error. Yeah, Ricardo. that's an incompetent... Acme is a legitimate business. They're going to send us a cease and desist if you don't yeah, stop. Yeah, I've got a stake in Acme stock, buddy. Don't you tank what I have. I was thinking this time about how much Looney Tunes back in action took from this movie movie yeah not only the concept of the film studio and having the cartoons be actors in the film studio but also the role of acme in looney tunes back in action Mm -hmm. and and having that be a central part of the film yeah i i am kind of stupid i i should have drawn those connections a little quicker because it is so similar. So R.K. Maroon wants Eddie Valiant to take pictures of Jessica Rabbit, Roger Rabbit's wife, who he believes to be having an affair with Marvin Acme, the head of the Acme Corporation. Valiant, despite the fact that he doesn't like working with tunes, accepts the job because he needs money to pay back Dolores, a bartender and ex-lover who he borrowed money from. It's a whole hundred dollars. Yeah, it's a whole... Yeah, it's a hundred... It was 1940-something in this, right? And then as Eddie is leaving, we get one of the best parts of the movie, I think, just walking through backstage Mm. at the lot and all of the different little cartoon gags that are in the background, including 
a jazz saxophone player playing a version of the Sorcerer's Apprentice that sounds like out of a noir that makes the brooms from Fantasia clean up the set. Clean up the mess on the lot. It's very fun. That's such a good... We also get a little Dumbo cameo, and they're just like, yeah, I got him on loan from Disney. Mm-hmm. This is just, just a great... He works for peanuts. Oh, God, yeah. There are a bunch of cows in the background all practicing their moves, <laughs> and then when you get to the end of the line, you see that it says cattle call. So it's great. Uh, Eddie Valiant hops the red trolley car that is apparently the best public transportation system in the world in Los <laughs> that, Angeles. That made me laugh a lot as well. I was just, there, there, yeah, it's a lot of throwaway lines that are just like really fun jabs, mm-hmm. and I, I didn't remember how many of them in a row there were, pretty it, much. And a bunch of eight-year-olds give him a pack of cigarettes. Yeah, they're smoking cigarettes on the back of the trolley. It's uh, the 40s. We see the trolley car depot has been taken over by Cloverleaf, a new transportation company. Then he goes up into the depot where there's a bar, where that's where we meet Dolores. And there's a bunch of zany characters at the bar. There's a cowboy. There's a train engineer. There's, like, an old-timey cabbie. And then he gets into an altercation with, like, a construction worker pulling out his metal lunchbox. He's got, like, dirt on his face. Mm -hmm. And then we basically just get into the case. He goes to the Ink and Paint Club. The password is Walt sent me. That's a good little password there. And then it's it's all the little penguin waiters from the House of Mouse or wherever that's originally from. Mary Poppins. Mary Poppins, what of course. When did Mary Poppins come out again? 1964. Because I read a, like a small... I guess it's a fan theory. It's just like these penguins are just those penguins from the movie before they got discovered. Well, that's <laughs> what Robert Zemeckis used to say on set. I watched on, on the Blu-ray they have a making of Roger Rabbit mm-hmm. thing. Robert Zemeckis thinks he's really funny behind these interviews where he acts like everything in <laughs> everything the film is something. real. So in Back to the Future Part 2 for the behind the scenes, he says... Yeah, hoverboards were something that actually existed, and parents complained that they were too dangerous, so they had to take them off the shelves, but we got them for our movie. Oh, my God. (laughs) And then he says essentially the same bit in this. He's like, yeah, the waiters, of course, the penguins are in Mary Poppins, but this is before they got discovered by Walt Disney to get put in that movie. I like that. That's fun. It's a funny bit. And then Betty Boop is there. Oh, I love Betty Boop in this movie. She's selling cigarettes. One of... The one, two, and he still kind of respects. They have some kind of friendly past. Like, they know each other. Well, we learn from a montage going over Eddie's desk that he and his brother... The greatest things in, I think, cinematic history gives you his entire backstory. No words, just Mm -hmm. camera movement and pictures. Yeah, and you get get everything, really. Eddie and his brother Teddy used to work a bunch of cases in Toontown. Um, They used to be really funny. Their dad was a clown. Mm Mm-hmm. I think that's a really elegant, nice way to learn his backstory. And then we also learned from Dolores that his brother was killed by a tune. Dropped a piano Dropped on his head. Dropped a piano on his head. Yeah. Where so that's we? why Eddie doesn't work for tunes anymore is because he doesn't want to work in Toontown because a tune killed his brother while they were in Toontown. But he still clearly has a soft spot for Betty Boop. This is where we meet Marvin Acme, and he sprays oh, yeah. some... Invisible ink. Well, initially it's just ink, then it's disappearing... Ink, so there's no more ink on Eddie's shirt. You can talk about Donald Duck, Daffy Duck. Yep, Donald oh, Duck yeah. and Daffy Duck. Equal screen pianos. Time. I think that's a great bit. Chuck Jones, he was one of the co-animators on that sequence. 
and then he hated the way that it eventually turned out. And even though he's still in the credits, he wanted to have his name taken off of the film. Wow. He hated What's the way Roger yeah, Rabbit I think it turned was good. out. Just didn't like it. The whole movie or that sequence? Just the whole movie. That's lame. He's some animation purist, I'm sure. This like this is a perversion of. Whatever. I think it's kind of similar to the way that Frank Oz feels about like the Jason Siegel Muppets. Even though I think that's a very nice successor to the Muppets of Jim Henson, Frank Oz doesn't like it. I think he, mm. he thinks it's too crude and too modern, and I think that's just the act of taking something and updating it for a modern audience. No matter how faithfully you keep the spirit of the original intact, I think people who were so protective of that original thing are going to stand by it. Now, I completely respect that. I love Frank Oz. I love Chuck Jones. I think they're some of the greatest artists of all time. Yeah, they, they have every right to stick to their convictions, whatever they may be, if, if they're like the experts that they are on mm-hmm. whatever they do. Anyway, this scene is the introduction of Jessica Rabbit, mm-hmm. who I didn't remember this, but I think Eddie believes that she's also a rabbit before yeah. she comes on stage. Yeah, she and is. She yeah. is. She's Jessica Rabbit. Yeah, you would. It's mm-hmm. like Minnie Mouse, Mickey Mouse. You would imagine, but nope, very much not that. Very much not that. Every human man in that club wants to get with this cartoon woman at once. Would it be any better if it was a hypersexualized cartoon rabbit? Like Space Jam? Yeah. <laughs> uh Hey, that's what it is, man. That's what it that's is. That's her whole Space character Jam. in I know. that movie. I know. I don't know, man. It, it's, is that it character is in anything other than Space Jam? The Looney Tunes show. Yeah. Oh, yeah. She's voiced by Baby Kristen Looney Wig, Tunes. and they gave her an actual personality. Good, that's good. good for her. That's wonderful. But this rabbit is, like, super breathy-voiced, kind of serious. I'm always so impressed with the interaction of the live-action elements and the animated characters in this movie. And the one that really got me this time was when she bends down from the stage and grabs Eddie Valiant's tie. And just how precise that Mm -hmm. gesture is. Oh, yeah. It looks like she really has his tie. And just how hard that must have been to get. I've seen some behind-the-scenes stuff from... The making of this movie is insane. I'm mm-hmm. sure it was, like, such a like, feat. even to, with the octopus bartender, when he bumps, like, the glasses and they move, they had those who were automated. <laughs> Just, like, they're mechanized to move that way. There's, like, an actual on-set woman to do all that. Too. Yeah, the, yeah, the reference person, I'm sure. Because they would shoot it often, if they had a reference, they would shoot once with the reference and once without the reference and then composite those so that the animators knew what the lighting was and everything like that and then... Just like they had three-foot-tall Roger Rabbits on set. Like yeah. little rubber Roger Rabbits. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just to make sure that gives much authenticity to the eye line and, you know, just spatial awareness as possible. I get you. And Bob Hoskins is so good at oh, the eye line God, in this movie. Yeah. This movie would not work if Bob Hoskins' performance did not completely kill it. Yeah, but he's, he's incredible. So good. He's like I said before, he feels like it could just be Eddie Valiant, a detective in a noir film that is a serious role. If they, yeah, I mean, you know, play down the alcoholism a little less, but you know what I mean. It's it's generally the vibe is so good. After Jessica Rabbit's performance, Marvin Acme goes back to Jessica Rabbit's dressing room where Eddie is able to get pictures of them in a compromising situation. Got him playing patty cake. Ooh, scathing and. They, you know, cut back to the office where they're showing Roger Rabbit the pictures, and it is tragic. They are literally <laughs> banging patty cake in Literal the photos. patty cake, which I think is a, is, I think it's a funny bit. And yeah, it's funny. What's also a really good bit is Roger Rabbit as the he's flip flipping book. through the photos. <laughs> Going it's another so really fast. good bit. <laughs> yeah, it's just... 
Oh, yeah. Very funny stuff. He gets so upset that they give him a drink, and the alcohol makes him turn into a train whistle and erupt and leave a Roger Rabbit-shaped hole through the window. <laughs> Love it. They, they pull up the blinds, and it's not only through the blinds, but perfectly through the glass. It's the best. Looney Tunes, indeed. Later, when Eddie gets back to his apartment, he's looking through the old vacation photos of him and Dolores and his brother on vacation at some tropical locale. I think that's an incredibly tender moment for that character. One that doesn't last very long, but it's very sweet. Yeah. And he, like, again, he has nothing to play off of except his own performance. There's no other characters in that scene, but you see all of the emotions that that character is going through. Insane depth to a character that has to work with a cartoon rabbit for most <laughs> of this movie. But the next day, Marvin Acme's been murdered. He's been real murdered. Ooh. And he dropped a safe on his head. Ain't that just like a tune? Ain't that just the way? My God. Like, there's the chalk outline, and the corner of yeah. the <laughs> safe is right on the head of the mm-hmm. chalk outline. Very fun. So everybody, of course, assumes Roger Rabbit's done this. What a whole mess this is. We meet Judge Doom. Yeah. The scariest performance uh, Christopher Lloyd has ever done. Mm-hmm. Oh, definitely. It is, to this day, a freaky character so intimidating and upsetting i think this is the thing that upset me most when i was a little kid and watched it everything just about him Judge Doom. his dip his outfit is just evil it's just like all black coats and canes and glasses and hat so judge doom has a vendetta against cartoons and especially roger rabbit and he has figured out a way to kill cartoons a concoction that he calls the dip and he it's just paint thinner <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, presumably. And he gives an example of how the dip works by picking up a little cartoon shoe with a face and eyes and, and, and feelings <laughs> and a family and a partner. And, he and then murders him. Dips him slowly in the green goop and just shows that it, like, well, it erases the cartoons. So after that horrifying revelation, we go back to Eddie's apartment. We find Roger. Hiding in his Pullman bed and promptly handcuffs himself to Eddie, which is just a very fun way to, like, have someone get stuck with another character. Uh, He gets visited by the weasels that are in the employ of Judge Doom, who are, like, these gangster, strong-arm people that go around. They're trying to look for Roger, and they have to pull off this great bit where he's, like, hiding Roger in the sink full of dirty dishes underwater while he's trying to explain away everything to the weasels. Because the weasels are convinced that Roger is hiding in Valiant's apartment because Roger pretty much asked everybody in (laughs) Los Angeles where he could find Eddie Valiant. No matter how big or how many the missteps are of Roger Rabbit, it just seems to kind of work out pretty well most of the time. Well, this is, I think, one of the scenes that best showcases the brilliance of Bob Hoskins' performance because he is acting against nothing. There's a bunch of cartoon weasels searching his apartment that aren't there, and Roger Rabbit handcuffed to him in the sink who isn't there. And so it's just Bob Hoskins essentially alone on a set creating this incredibly tense scene that's also very funny. Talking to himself and nobody. Yeah, truly just uh, like 40 people behind the camera watching him be a crazy person alone on a set. It's really brilliant, the practical effects that went into this, because every time a cartoon interacts with something in real life, 
that real life thing doesn't become animated, it's still real. So when the weasels walk into the apartment holding their yeah, they're pistols, holding real guns. There was a guy up in the rafters with a gun on a string just going <laughs> along it's like a the path. string gun. Uh huh. Even the bed when Roger like jumps onto the bed, it compresses. Mm-hmm. Like it shows yeah, it, it does. God, so impressive. All of this, all of the animation to live action stuff. And then there's a bit when Roger is finally allowed out of the dish soap where he comes out and it splashes everywhere and he spits water out of his mouth and they had to build a contraption that would come out of the water, create that splash, and then spit water. Thank God this movie is as good as it is because all of that effort to make like these incredible effects would have been wasted if this movie like even had a couple missteps. At the time it came out, it was the most expensive movie ever made. I believe that. So like I know the intensiveness that it takes to do animation, and to do animation like this would just be the amount of cells needed for this movie. Oh my God! I can only imagine. Was insane. Well, let's talk about the animation. art students to help finish it. Just, like, rush order all of the stuff they had to do because it was so much? Because the way that they had to do it, and this is so incredibly impressive, is they would blow up the image from the film stock Mm -hmm. so that an animator could look at it full size, put a cell over it, animate over that spot in the frame, and then do that for every single frame where there's something animated, which is almost every single frame yeah, in this it's movie. pretty much everything that there is, besides a couple very small portions when Eddie is alone in his apartment. But other than that, it's like cartoons in every shot of this entire film. This is actually a great transition into the next part of the film, which is where, after being handcuffed to Roger, Eddie goes to Dolores' bar, hoping that she can hide them in the Prohibition era back room that they have at the bar there. Try to avoid the law. First, when they get to the bar, Eddie is cutting himself out of the handcuffs with a saw. Oh, yes. (laughs) Yes. And then Roger removes his hand (laughs) from the handcuff. And then Eddie goes, you mean to tell me that you could have done that at any time? Not at any time. Only when it was funny. (laughs) (laughs) Ah, yeah, that's... That's the best. A cartoon doesn't care about most like real things getting in trouble or mm-hmm. being in a bad spot. They're just they're just in it for the laughs and that's so much fun. So Eddie goes back to his apartment. That's when Jessica Rabbit shows up trying to convince him to tell him where Roger is. At this point, Dolores has also gone to find out about a real estate plot that's going on with Cloverleaf trying to buy Toontown real estate. So when Dolores comes back to report back to Eddie, she finds him in a compromising position. With one Jessica Rabbit. Mm -hmm. With his pants literally around his ankles. Yep. Are we not going to talk about Jessica Rabbit's iconic line? Because she's like prime suspect numero uno. Yeah. So Valiant doesn't trust her like at all when she's asking for his help. After a bit of back and forth leads into her very iconic line, I'm not bad, I'm just drawn that way. It's deep stuff for a cartoon, boys. Because it, it goes into the whole, like, how tunes are seen in this world and how, mm-hmm. like, the allegories are getting stronger for, like, other social things. After learning that I had watched this as a kid, that line was the thing that my parents were, for some reason, most concerned about. And I, you told us that the other day, and my only, like, it's a good line. It's well-written, and it makes sense. And I guess the only thing that... 
your parents were afraid of is that it was just calling attention to her insane proportions and her and her figure. Yeah. But that line hits a little different now that we're older. It's it's very strange and very good. Now we're back in the bar. Roger Rabbit has drawn too much attention to himself, so Judge Doob shows up because the weasels have been tailing Eddie Valiant in the sewers. Roger and Eddie are hiding back in the back room, which leads to Judge Doom interrogating all of the patrons of the bar who you would naturally think are going to rat out Roger, but Roger don't. Roger has a whole speech about it. Mm-hmm. He gets on a literal soapbox. Yes, he does. And it's about... Laughter. Yeah, it's about like connecting with them through comedy and like how they wouldn't betray him. And how comedy is one of the few things that alleviates the that pain of the has. real world. Yeah, yeah. It's one of the few weapons we have, like, as tunes. Powerful stuff. But ultimately, through the tactic of shaving a haircut, Judge Doom tapping his cane over the area, because, of course, doesn't believe anybody when they say they haven't seen him. Tapping, shaving a haircut on the walls gets him to bust through the wall <laughs> two bits and blow his whole cover. There are two things about this sequence that I want to bring up. One is whenever he's interrogating the bar patrons... One of them says, yeah, I've seen a rabbit, and then turns around to the empty bar stool next to him and goes, introduce yourself, Harvey, which Harvey's a movie where Jimmy Stewart has an imaginary rabbit friend. Yeah. I've never even heard of that, but that is a funny joke now that I know that that's not... <laughs> I watched that and I was like, huh, weird. He just like what moved the hell on. they were talking yeah. about. That's my pop culture reference. <laughs> And then the other thing that I really like about this scene, and it happens in a couple other scenes too, like the the scene where Judge Doom is introduced, is when you've got Christopher Lloyd doing a little speech in his like raspy voice, mm. and then the dark, sinister Alan Silvestri <laughs> suspense music playing, it really feels like Back to the Future. Yeah, you're getting all those Back to the How long after Back to the Future was this one again? Um, This was made in 1988, so three years after the first Back to the Future came right out. Right on. I don't know when 2 and 3 came out off the top of my head. God, Chris Lee is so good in this movie. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I want to see the Tim Curry version. The Tim Curry, if if he was cast as Doom, oh, that would be such a different movie. Because they cut him out, like, they axed him because he was too scary. Interesting, because he's almost too scary in the real version. He's, uh, he's messed up. He's messed up. Mm Mm-hmm. They have Roger Rabbit. They're going to put Roger Rabbit in the dip, and Eddie convinces Judge Doom to give Roger Rabbit one last request of a drink. Which, Knowing full well what alcohol does to the rabbit. He goes, I don't want the drink. And then Eddie's like, you want the drink. And back and forth and back oh, and forth. Oh, yeah, yeah, You yeah. don't want the drink. I do. And then, and then he takes it back and... A little rabbit season, duck season. Yeah, I love that. And then we get our steam whistle shattering distraction going mm-hmm. on. They make it out of there and now they're... They're on the run. We meet Benny the Cab. Benny the Cab is in the back of the Weasel's truck. That's a really good effect, I think. Them just sitting in an animated cab. Mm -hmm. I think it really looks like Bob Hoskins is in the back of that cab. Hell yeah. Apparently the rig that they used for Benny the Cab is the same rig that they dragged Michael J. Fox from in Back to the Future 3. No kidding. Uh Uh-huh. Weird. I that is that is weird. Frame that sequence where Bob Hoskins is animated because it was impossible mm-hmm. to do it any other way. Really? Anyway, so Betty the Cab is this where we're getting more towards uh, Toontown? No, no, not quite. They're hiding not out quite. in the movie theater right now yes, because yes, yes. Benny knows a place where they can lay low, which is of course a movie theater where we get some nice relationship building between Roger and Eddie. 
where they have a little bit more of a heart-to-heart. Um, we see Dolores and Eddie kind of rekindling their romance, which Roger, of course, Yo, stifles. Of course, he sticks his nose in there. So there's a newsreel playing before the film at the movie theater. Is where... Eddie a good detective? He just kind of finds things. <laughs> Stumbles into clues. I mean, that's every like noir. The will, he just like happened to be drinking, put his glass over it, and it looked like a magnifying glass. Yeah. Here, the newsreel told him what was going on. Yeah, so the central plot of this movie is very derivative, very reminiscent of something like Chinatown, where the MacGuffin of this film, which has very little to do with the actual plot, really, other than until it motivates the third act, is all the tunes are looking for the lost will of Marvin Acme, which supposedly leaves Toontown to the tunes. However, since they can't find a will, the idea is that Cloverleaf is going to buy Toontown and demolish it. Yeah, wash it out with the dip, presumably, mm-hmm. and they're going to build a freeway. Yeah, that's the big evil plot, is to build a freeway. Eddie sees the newsreel about the deal between Maroon and Cloverleaf. He rushes to RK Maroon's office to interrogate him, and only when he's interrogating RK Maroon is about to figure the whole thing out, RK Maroon gets killed. We see Jessica Rabbit running away from the scene of the crime. Big ominous stone. Mm-hmm. Is she the, the evil one? Eddie Valiant follows her all the way to Toontown. Yeah, he finally, you know, grits his teeth and he goes through the tunnel and... Gets his animated I gun. was going to say, this is where he gets his gun ready, his special cased revolver. That Yosemite Sam gave him. Yeah. With the bullets that have little personalities. Yeah. They all look like cowboys and or Native Americans. They're wonderful. They're little, little he gets western sober stuff. in this scene. Yes, yeah, he throws he away his sober. alcohol. Well, I love the bullets say, where you been, Eddie? And he goes, drunk. You guys ready to go to work? Yes. That's his gear up moment. Uh-huh. That's him getting his stuff together and getting ready. I love it. He drives through the tunnel from Back to the Future 2. We're in Toontown. I Big could stay bits. in Toontown forever. <laughs> you want that whole movie in Toontown? I get it's you. It's such a fun sequence. It's just stuff yes, everywhere. Everything is moving. Mm-hmm. Everything has a personality. It's great. Well, yeah, Droopy Dog is the elevator operator. <laughs> yeah. as... Tweety Bird is a dick. Well, yeah, Tweety well, Bird's always that way, though. Yeah, truly. As he falls out of a building, we, we see... Mickey and Bugs. Yep. On... What is this, a crossover yeah, episode? It's, it's like when they had Donald and Daffy on the same stage mm-hmm. as well. And Bugs Bunny is, of course, the one who's mean to Eddie Valiant. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Ain't I a stinker? Real quick, you know the whole stipulation for having Warner Brothers and Disney stuff. Like that they had to have equal screen time. Yeah, they had to have, yeah. That's why they both enter and exit, exit the at the exact same, same time. time. Which is how it is. Later, you see them again. Yeah. The exact same thing happens. Finally, Jessica Rabbit has cornered Eddie Valiant in Toontown. She's got a gun pulled on him. And he says, I always knew I'd get it in Toontown. And she pulls a Terminator 2. Oh, yeah. Behind you. And she Damn. shoots whoever was trying to get Eddie Valiant. And it's big, Judge big Doom, but it's a surprise of no one. Yeah, like a the guy character named, named Judge Doom, Doom that wears all black, yeah. and we see dip cartoon characters to their death. The question death. of who framed Roger Rabbit <laughs> was never an issue. The question is who elected Judge Doom to office and let him do the things he does. Eddie Valiant sticks out his thumb, which conjures Benny to their aid, and he and Jessica are off to rescue Roger. But Judge Doom 
hits him with the dip. Yeah, and he like melts the bottom of Benny, which spins is out, really yeah. messed up. After that, we get to our climax. Yeah, we get in the warehouse, the warehouse full of tune, like which supplies. is where Acme was murdered. Yeah, so we had a setup for a lot of these gags earlier in the movie. The hole in the wall, the mallet, the instrument, sword, the singing sword. So yeah, so essentially, all of our characters end up at the Acme warehouse. We won't get into the logistics of it because it doesn't matter. But we have uh, Roger and Jessica tied up, suspended by a crane. With a very classic-y feeling bad guy mechanism that's going to spray them down with dip. It's a giant... It's like a hose cannon. Yeah, it's a car with a dip hose on it that they're going to use to obliterate Toontown. But first, they're going to obliterate Jessica and Roger. And then we get Eddie Valiant making wonderful use of every setup prop from before... To so murder these weasels. The weasels yeah. are capable of laughing themselves to death. So Eddie, who's been super serious and against making a buffoon of himself the entire film, must make a clown of himself like a tune in order to literally laugh the weasels to death in a absolutely fantastic mm. musical rendition set to... The merry-go-round broke down. Of course. Which is the same thing that Roger was dancing around to earlier. It's a great sequence. Again, just Bob Hoskins killing yeah. it. Uh, but after all the weasels are dead, then it's final showdown with Eddie and Judge Doom. Which is horrifying. It is a sequence of true fear. Judge Doom gets run over by a steamroller, flattening him out. S- he's screaming the whole time yeah. that this is happening. And you figure, oh, he got run over by a steamroller. He's dead. But wait... Nope. He... He's a toon! Starts to blow back up. He's a toon. His eyeballs, like, grow into his head. Not just any toon! Oh, boy. Then we get the big reveal. That not only is Judge Doom a toon, he's the toon that killed Eddie's brother. Thinking about it now, my skin's crawling, just remembering how freaky that all is. That's the part that scared me the most when I was a kid. Yeah, when his voice starts getting higher and he starts getting, like, pseudo-animated again, it's so freaky. Freaking arm saws. Oh yeah, the arm saws and mm-hmm. oh god. Eddie is able to use a hole like a portable hole. Oh yeah, the cartoon hole in the wall thing. To escape the clutches of Judge Doom and get him sprayed with dip. He I... lowers Jessica and Roger but not before spraying a bunch of conveniently placed fire hydrants yeah. to uh, get Wash the dip away. All away. The dip and, and the Steamroller goes through the wall to Toontown, letting all the tunes come into the Acme yes. factory. But just when this thing's got a nice little bow on it, Toontown still doesn't belong to the tunes. Eddie notices on his shirt that the ink that Marvin Acme sprayed on him at the beginning of the movie has reappeared. And that's when Roger finds in the warehouse Acme disappearing, reappearing ink... Eddie pulls out a love letter that Roger had written to Jessica, discovering that he wrote reappearing it on the back of the disappearing, reappearing <laughs> will of Marvin Acme. Marvin Acme, you tricky bastard. So Toontown belongs to the tunes. They all sing Smile Darn You Smile, and they all walk happily into the sunset. Dolores, Eddie, Roger, Jessica, Mickey, Bugs, Goofy. <laughs> 
everybody. everybody. Every tune in Toontown celebrates together. Eddie's prejudice to tunes is gone, I guess. Mm-hmm. He kisses Roger on the mouth. Mm-hmm. Classic tune move. Classic tune move, and it is just the best. And how do we end this movie, Ricardo? By revealing it's all been a huge origin prequel for Porky Pig. <laughs> the best outro. As they're all leaving, he says, that's all, folks, that's all, folks. Hey, I, I like the sound of that. <laughs> Roll credits. Hey, Porky, this is your cousin, <laughs> Marvin Pig. <laughs> you know that new sound you're looking for? Well, listen to this. Smile, Johnny, smile. And oh, then after God. Porky disappears into his little void, then Tinkerbell comes and gives a little... It's perfect. That's the perfect mm-hmm. way to end this movie. There it is. And there's... The I just want to watch this movie again. Why don't we, yeah, why don't we just all go re-re-watch it? Because it is such a freaking good movie. When I was in Orlando at Disney Springs, I went to the Planet Hollywood there, which had a menagerie of goodies. I'll give you a preview, Seamus. Ooh, it had yes. the pacifier from Sky High. Ooh, yeah, the broken one? The broken one. Oh. Um, it had Jeff Goldblum's final form from The Fly. Ooh, that's cool to look at what you're eating. But the reason I bring it up is it had the giant flattened Judge Doom <laughs> from the end of the that's so cool. That's so freaky and cool. It's like 15 feet tall. It's in this it's giant like frame. accurate to what a yeah. human body would stretch out to when does crushed it, by a steamroller. Does it accurately look like Christopher Lloyd? Yeah, it does. That's so freaky. That's the real thing I wouldn't want to look at. Like, that's that's a nightmare, but that's so fun. So yeah, Roger Rabbit, thank you for picking this movie, Seamus. Of I course, love revisiting yeah. it. It's I really do it every... Not that... You know, it's not that long that I go without rewatching it. It's truly a movie that I I can't go without. Roger Rabbit might come up again later in the episode. So who knows? Stick around. Stay tuned. What? Oh, I I hate that I just. <laughs> now it's time for everybody's favorite segment. Where's Riley? You guys have any guesses about where Riley is? Um. Where's Riley? Work. I'm going to say... He's probably at work. I'm going to say outside of his work, <laughs> even more specifically. Well, Ricardo won. Hey. Well, well, that's a tally. For all you Riley heads out there, keep it <laughs> track, but a tally for Ricardo. He is at work chilling like a villain. That's oh, what he his didn't text says. No. No apostrophe ends. No. Go to Jersey Mike's. Go harass him. Take that picture and hashtag it and send it to us. We will not give you anything, but we'll probably laugh real hard. So do that. We'll give you a shout out. We'll give you a shout out. Yeah. We'll We'll bet you on the podcast. Hashtag it where's Riley or hashtag it found Riley and then give us (laughs) another hashtag that doesn't make sense to make me laugh too. Love it. Let's move on to our pop culture reference for the episode. Our reference this time around is bumping the lamp, which is putting a lot of effort and work into these very tiny details that most audience members probably won't even notice. The origin of Bump the Lamp is actually from Who Framed Roger Rabbit in the sequence where Eddie and Roger are hiding in the back room of Dolores' bar. They bump their heads into the lamp, causing the light to swing all over the set, thus making it much harder to animate and shade Roger Mm -hmm. Rabbit accurately to the environment. So that's where that phrase originated, and so we thought it was really fitting to include that for the reference to this episode. Now, let's move on to the good place. 
Welcome to Hell is Other Podcasters, our segment where we break down the latest episode of The Good Place. This is Season 4, Episode 7, and very nicely titled for us, Help is Other People. So, the same concept that we're spinning our title off of, they're spinning their title off of. Great minds think alike. Am yeah. I? Yeah, we should We should uh, write for The Good Place. Yeah, oh, they're still going, right? They're still uh, going to have a bunch of seasons? Yeah, of course. <laughs> this is definitely not the last season. Oh, no. This is a huge turning point for this season, to the point that I don't know where they're going to go after this, because at the very beginning of this episode, the first thing that we learn is it is the last day of the experiment. Yeah, it's the whole year has gone, and it's the last, like, however many hours, and they're... They start off in the office uh, coming up with, like, last-ditch effort plans to gather points. To make the humans better people. Yeah. One of Michael's ideas is to do that magnificent Dr. Presto. Love the magnificent Dr. Presto. His magician alter ego. He's been practicing earth magic, even though in the good place, real, real magic, magic yeah. exists. <laughs> um, we see everybody dressing up for a big party that they're throwing for the humans. And everybody's all suited up, except for Brent who we find out has a tuxedo in a can that Janet Love made him. That. The effects in the show are just so fun. A lot of times they'll do stuff like the tuxedo in a can bit where mm-hmm. it's just like, it just looks nice and clean. But Simone's starting to get a little suspicious of what's going on. More than a little suspicious when she mm-hmm. busts out the corkboard and red string diagram she's been making for the whole time, mm-hmm. pretty much. Like the whole experiment, she's been running... Her own experiment, per se. So she thinks that there's something wrong in paradise. There's trouble in paradise. She realizes that the main focus of the entire neighborhood is seemingly the four humans. Mm-hmm. And she thinks that's a little fishy, which is it makes sense. This pressures John into exposing Jason as not being Yu, but in fact being... Jason, because he believes that Jason is the thing that's wrong with the neighborhood. And Brent then breaks out the fact that Michael and Eleanor told him the lie about him vying to be in the the best best place, place. which serves as further fodder for Simone's theory that they are not actually where they think they are. And this leads us to the party, no? Yes. This leads us to the magnificent Dr. Presto getting up on stage, Mm -hmm. trying to distract further from the humans slowly putting together what's been going on. And we get a big hole eruption in the ground that causes even bigger problems for, for our humans here. Yes. Brent falls into the hole... As per the plan that they put together to try to get them to get some last-minute good boy points to get them. Because it seems like a slam dunk, of course they're going to save Brent. But Simone and John, after the way that they've been treated by Brent, are not in any way inclined to save him and take off in his Escalade, was it? Yeah, yeah. Not the train, but his wished-upon Escalade. Leaving Cheaty alone to try to rescue him from this pit. This, of course, is a fracturing of Cheaty and Simone's relationship that was kind of started earlier in the episode when Cheaty told Simone that he was worried that if they weren't really in the good place, that he and Simone weren't really soulmates. 
an idea which Simone immediately dismisses altogether anyway, yeah. which obviously hurts Chidi's feelings because Chidi clearly has really strong feelings for Simone. And this leads us to Chidi, very good-willed person, also getting stuck in the hole trying to save Brent. Uh-huh. That's where Michael and Eleanor find them to have confirmed for them that their last-minute experiment has gone completely the wrong way that they needed it to. I guess you could say that their experiment really went to hell there at the end there, Seamus. Oh, Garrett, gosh, dang it. Now they have a bigger problem where they're trying to figure out exactly how to approach in the last minutes of this experiment how they can fix it. Now Jason begins talking to the group in sports metaphors, talking about doing a Hail Mary here in the final minutes of the experiment to try to rack up as much points for the humans as they can and is actually making sense for once. Tahani says... Jason, that was actually coherent. And then Jason says, oh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to. That's when Eleanor and Michael go into the room and let Chidi tell them, no, this is the bad place. And then the best thing that could have ever happened at the very end of that episode, it gave me little spine tingles when it happened. It's Eleanor standing side by side with Michael. And then they drop their eyes a little bit, and then they both let out a beautiful, evil, evil laugh, just a la like Michael one. in the season one finale. I also love that Chidi has a callback to season one or two, where he talks about how he drank almond milk, oh, yeah, that's... despite the bad environmental <laughs> impacts of that's it. That's always his reasoning for him being in the bad place is the almond milk. I do mm-hmm. love that. Being in the bad place... And that revelation finally makes Brent realize that he is a bad person. When it all seems like it might be going in the right direction that they need it to, where Brent might be getting some self-awareness and that he might, out of all of them, finally be becoming a better person. And actually apologize to Chidi. And actually apologize to Chidi, which would be a first for him in the last moment time runs out everyone that isn't the people running the experiment they freeze Mm -hmm. and in a last moment bit janet shows up with a pitcher of margaritas that she was told to quote bring to eleanor the second the experiment was over yep that's pretty funny and so the experiment's over so i don't know what we're gonna do from this point forward i don't know what the fallout of this is going to be Should we move on with the show? Let's move on with the show. Now it's time for Save the Rec Center. Ricardo, what's your rec center? Oh, I'm going first. Yeah, let's hit hit, hit it with us. You guys remember El Tigre? (laughs) Yeah, I remember El Tigre. (laughs) You rewatching El Tigre? Yeah, I was watching the new Netflix show Seis Manos, and that got me thinking about Mexican cartoons, and El Tigre popped into my brain. And the creator just gave out all the episodes for free on his Twitter. So cool. So I've just been watching those. It holds up. That's cool. I, I remember that show being funny. great. The art style is different and unique. I don't think we've really seen that around anymore. Ricardo, for our listeners, what is El Tigre? It is a Nickelodeon show. It's about Manny Rivera, the son of a superhero and the grandson of a supervillain. And his whole arc is like he can't decide, am I going to be a hero? Am I going to be a villain? Like a face or a heel in wrestling, mostly, or like yeah. actually, yeah. I remember that show being dope. Hell yeah. 
uh, my rec center this week, I'm going to go ahead and just recommend Dungeons & Dragons just as a whole. That is something I've been really, really interested in for a long time. And I've been reading a player's handbook, listening to D&D podcasts, just... Once you get kind of the gist of how it's supposed to go, it's a lot less intimidating. So please listen or join in on a campaign somewhere because it is, it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. My rec center, uh, a couple days ago, I went and saw Parasite, which is a new film from Bong Joon-ho, who did Snowpiercer, Okja, Memories of a Murder. Uh, it's Korean with English subtitles. You can find it. It's playing at the Oriental Theater in Milwaukee. It's also playing uh, at some AMC theaters. Um, it's very, very good. I'm not going to tell you too much because I think it's just so yeah, charming. I've talked to about that movie is like I go in blind, don't know Ooh, anything. That's my favorite thing about and I've a movie heard like nothing that. but amazing things about that movie. Same here. You can read my review on Letterboxd, Garrett Strother on Letterboxd, if you're so inclined. But I, it's just really a refreshing film. It, it felt really original, but also had such a initially simple premise. Mm. Riley, I believe, has said it's one of his favorite, if not his favorite, foreign film ever made, and definitely his favorite movie of the year. So it's got my stamp of approval and Riley's. All right, everybody, thank you so much for joining us this week on Pop Culture Reference. If you want to talk to us about any of our rec centers or anything else we've talked about on the show, you can tweet us at PCR underscore podcast on Twitter or email us at popculturereferencepod at gmail.com. Thank you so much for listening. Have a great week. Let's play them out. One, a two, a three. Smile, darn you, smile. Oh, no.